Welcome to the first in our new series of Future Farm Resilience podcasts brought to you by NIAB, working in conjunction with AKC and Savills. My name is Will Von France and I'm your host for this new series. Joining me today is Greg Crawford, farm business consultant with NIAB, and we're going to be discussing some of the challenges facing farm businesses through the agricultural transition. Welcome, Greg. Thank you very much. Good to see you, Will. Um, so the challenges facing farm businesses through the agricultural transition. Um, perhaps do you want to just explain what we perhaps mean by the agricultural transition? Because um, there's, there's quite a lot of different transitions happening at once, aren't there, really, for this industry? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious one is we've left the European Union and our government's decided to move away from the, the basic payment scheme, which is getting phased out over seven years. So the last payment is in 2027. And going forward, starting this August, there'll be new payments uh, under the SFI scheme. There's also landscape recovery and local nature recovery. And alongside that, the countryside stewardship is continuing. So it's a big change for farmers. The BPS represents significant income. So it's really important that farmers can remain, remain profitable without this additional income. So how much do you think of the profit of farming businesses in recent years has really been derived from the BPS payment? You know, how, how big a deal do you think this is for most of the farm businesses you're seeing? It, it's a significant hit um, and it really depends on the size of the farm and if it's a tenanted farm and what sort of system that they involve really. So it, it really varies um, from, from much smaller farms. The whole of the BPS can be their profit uh, in reality for the much larger estates. It's still a big hit, but it's not going to damage them as severely. So there are other ways in which we're also seeing a sort of transition at the moment as well. And I'm, I'm thinking of things like climate, carbon, the advent of new income streams coming onto farms, the alternative uses for land, the competition for it. Um, I mean, is it the case that we're because there's actually quite a few different parts, drivers affecting change at the moment, are you finding that's actually probably making it more difficult or is that actually making it easier because it's providing more opportunities to the businesses you meet? Yeah, that's a good question. There's definitely plenty of opportunities. Um, I've visited farms who've taken on renewable energy schemes, so they've got solar panels on their farm, looking at battery units as well. The carbon credits that you mentioned, there's a lot of uncertainty around those and it's, you know, described as a sort of unregulated, undefined market as of current. Uh, but I've been to a couple of farms who have adopted it and they're convinced that it's a it's a good idea that they all farmers should be implementing, you know, looking at around uh, £30 a hectare for the next 10 years. It can add significant in income to the farm. Um, biodiversity net gain is also another option that farms can be looking at. So there, there are lots of options there, but which route to go down is the question. And, and, can and, you do... and these could potentially all fit with farming practices, couldn't they? I mean, I'm a little bit nervous of the carbon credits one. Um, perhaps that's a big enough topic in itself. We maybe won't go too far into that one right now. But um, it, it, but one of the big issues here, surely, is, is also making sure that if we're carrying on with agricultural production, that we can actually make that profitable in its own right and, and not just be reliant on almost moving from a subsidised via BPS to subsidised through your internal business diversifications? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. You know, farming should be profitable as a standalone business and having to rely on these additional income streams does make people nervous. It's, it's difficult. What, what are your thoughts on, on that? I think it's really important that um, we can find ways to farm land efficiently and produce goods that a, cons that a consumer in a marketplace wants. 
and that means probably there's some bits of land which don't make make sense to do something else with. I don't think we should necessarily be too sort of apologetic about that. But everything we do should be should stand up in its own on its own two feet. That's very much my um, my my sort of belief. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Um, uh, unless it's for more charitable aims. And, and actually it may be in some cases and there are there's obviously a level of social um, obligations that come with managing and stewarding land as well what would be the sort of common problems that you could you've visited quite a few farms now haven't you and, and done these sort of one-to-one -one meetings as part of the um project um what would be the common problems that you're hearing from farmers over and over again um what would you know there'll always be some things that are bespoke to individuals but what are the key underlying threads yeah so i've visited around 50 farms this year so far to do farm business reviews and sfi assessments and yeah the common themes would be of course the loss of bps um you know this year it'll be around 50 percent less that each farm will be getting and then by 2027 it's completely gone the new SFIs, there's a lot of interest around there. A lot of people are very surprised that they can generate significant income from it. There's, of course, costs involved with implementing some of the schemes. Um, some of the far tenants and farms, they don't have long-term agreements and they sort of work on a yearly rolling contract. Uh, a bit nervous because you need to have three years management control to be able to enter the schemes. So that limits them in some respects. Of course, costs are increasing across the board and the grain prices has dropped significantly from its peak of, of last year, which people are very nervous about, especially if they bought fertilizer at the, the heights. Um, it's going to be a very, a very tight year for some. Also access to more land. So everyone wants to make use of their sort of machinery and assets and labor resources. And we're seeing that, you know, it's very hard to take on more land because you no, know, not many people are looking to get rid of land and anything that does become available is at quite a high price. And so that is a big complaint that people wanting to expand and not being able to. Yeah, and cost of new machinery there as well. So people are looking to reinvest in machinery that's, that's breaking down, becoming more redundant and are hesitant to do so because, you know, the price of debt has increased and the price of machinery has also increased. So it's making people very nervous. But there are options to mitigate against those risks. I went to a farm the other week where they were looking at buying a new combine last year. And he was chatting to a, his farm friend in the pub and he was also looking to buy a new combine and they they thought oh let's have a look at the numbers and see if we can make it work and once looking at the numbers they realized you know we have to make this work given the given the savings so you know people have to look outside the box in some respects and see how they can mitigate against some of these these risks really yeah i mean i suppose it's always been the way hasn't it you always get the sensation that prices are increasing um unless it's something you um you you, you sell of course, last year was really a high point, wasn't it, for a lot of arable businesses that you had a relatively good harvest, you had exceptionally high prices, and for Harvest 22, quite modest cost of production to get there. 23, we got very high cost of production, the yields as of yet uncertain, uh, prices somewhat below where they were, but actually on a historical basis, still pretty strong. Yes. Um, are we worrying... Because it's a, is it is it that bad, or is it just the case that we've because we've come from a year that was such an exceptional high, everything is a slide from thereafter. I mean, yes, there's last year was exceptional in terms of grain prices, um, and yeah, it really depends on when fertilizer was, was bought in terms of how your margins are going to look this year, and you know, 
what sort of rainfall levels you got in your area and obviously that's so variable and with the global events that we're facing with the uh, Russian Ukraine war everyone's waiting to see what, what's going to happen this year really and no one has a crystal ball so it's a it's a it's a bit of a difficult one <laughs> yeah I, I i don't enjoy selling my own grain at the moment so i was liking that there's um in a year i have 365 days to get it wrong and i will choose 10 of them and they will be the wrong 10. yep um but that's inevitably yeah. the way these things um these things go um we obviously we've seen massive inflation, um, but one of the areas where that you, you just briefly touched on there was was the cost of funding, as well, and um, in relation to machinery, but also in relation to just what the the cost of cash now, interest rates having gone from close to zero to to five percent, overdraft costs maybe unsecured overdrafts maybe not now so seven eight percent interest unsecured overdrafts yep. going to be more than that. Um, you know how how well do you think some of these businesses or the businesses you're seeing are actually able to absorb that interest rate um, hike? Because that's unfamiliar territory for a, a decade. Yes, it's true. Um, I think a lot of farms are hesitant to take on any new high purchase agreements and, and loans for new machinery, and they'll be pushing their machinery to its limits in terms of its longevity and for the, for those businesses that you know are already in agreements where the interest rates are going up they're they're in they can be in a spot of bother and they're gonna have to really manage their their farming system and and how they can make that function properly to but yeah it's it's a very nervous time for for a lot of farms in terms of the level of debt um but you, at some point you do need to reinvest in new machinery so that is something that you you, you have to do at some point and we, we don't know when that's coming back down again Again, it's one of these unknowns. <laughs> well, as most things are, uh, yes. um, so certainly there's a, I, I mean, I can see in my own farming business, I think I'm inclined to I've slow down on the uh, purchases of machinery now. I've, I've actually done, I know I've done most stuff I want to do recently, but um, it's it's then actually the cost of, of cash to fund everyday parts of the business as, as well, which I mean, you don't tend to buy machinery on your overdrafts, but you, you do tend to buy fertilizer that way. And, um, and and so it's across the board, isn't it? This interest rate issue um, uh, uh, affecting businesses. One of the areas I'm sort of, uh, sort of interested to pick up on a little bit more, because you've also been talking about it quite a bit, is SFI. And um, how, what do you think the farmer enthusiasm is for SFI? As you've met people, you've talked about it, you've looked at different scenarios for them. What, what sort of level of enthusiasm are they showing? Uh, initially, enthusi enthusiasm is low. Uh, once I've gone onto farm and, and gone through all the, the standards that are available and looked at their system and gone through how we can make it work for their, their farming model, and I've got this SFI calculator. So once we've gone through all the standards, looked at what might work, we input it into this calculator. And often the farmers are quite surprised at how much income we can identify. Obviously with BPS, it's mostly legislation and there's no additional costs incurred in claiming the BPS. With the SFIs, you know, there's seed costs there, there's time costs, and you've got to look at the margins involved as well. So it's not purely the income isn't the pure profit you'll, you'll get from the SFIs. Are there certain standards that SFI standards that are standing out as being ones that are, you know, really people are really interested in. Yeah, I mean the obvious ones are so the integrated pest management standard and the nutrient management standard. A lot, ninety nine percent of farmers are already doing those for 
red tractor anyway, so that's a very easy easy win. Uh, the hedgerow standards have been there's been a lot of interest around those. So there's a three pound per side per hundred meters for making a hedgerow assessment, and there's a ten pound per hundred meters for hedgerow trees. That's quite an easy one to to access really. Uh, for the hedgerow management payment, again that's ten pounds per side for hundred meters. It's the same as countryside stewardship. From the farms I visited, it's about half and half. Half of them are very interested in doing that. The other half say they don't want to risk the damaging of their hedgerow cutting machinery and the problems it causes with encroaching on the, the arable land. No use of insecticide one has been an interesting one. Again, it's pretty pretty split 50-50. Depends what area of the country you're in, um, your BYVD risk and the crops that you grow and the break crops you grow. But it's it's had a lot of interest. There's not many farms that are putting the whole farm into the no use of insecticide payment, but there's a good chunk of farmers that are putting a percentage in, perhaps a third or so. And that's a £45 per hectare payment. It's quite an interesting one, that one, because we were looking at this in relation to variety choice in um, wheat and, and barley, because particularly even in areas where there's a higher risk of, of BYDV, um, let you know, you you don't want to you wouldn't want to entertain it without some sort of protection by some other means and there are some varieties out there in winter wheat and winter barley that can help and and we looked at whether the economics of those stack up with the yield drag if there is one and and in the case of of wheat there's probably a little bit of it's a bit more a bit marginal but actually in case of winter barley uh with the varieties with tolerance they actually look like it, it could work quite nicely with the sfi 45 pounds a hectare but i sort of wonder in some locations uh, whether 45 pounds a hectare i mean is that enough for the risk that's being taken on yeah yeah 45 pounds doesn't buy a lot of wheat does it so you've got to take that into account so yeah it's it's a difficult one it's, it's 0.25 of a ton a hectare isn't it so yeah you've, you've got to be fairly confident the odds are in your favor definitely yeah but you know i've been to some farms where they haven't used insecticide for for five years and they don't plan to, so it's a very attractive option for them. But you've got to weigh up that risk and work out the numbers. Yeah, and and you have to have other mitigations, which is those who successfully don't use avoid the use of insecticides will be doing other things which enable them to do that, and and that's the important thing. Yeah, um, that they manage risk another way. With the with BPS, I mean, back in. Uh, you know, earlier on, it was uh, a few years ago, it was sort of 200, 220 pounds a hectare sort of territory, or yeah. barring, you know, given mostly legislative, barring some hedge cutting requirements, we think were some of the few things that weren't in legislation, there wasn't a lot of cost against it. So it added straight to the bottom line broadly. Like when you look at SFI on a sort of per hectare basis, what sort of levels of income are, are people actually manage, think they're able to access? and and then how much of that do you think is actually contributing to the bottom line of the business? It is actually quite a big percentage. I mean, some of the options that they're already doing don't take up much time or cost. So it really depends on the, the mix, the pick and mix of SFIs that they've, they've taken on. Uh, for example, if you look at some of the flower rich grass margins, blocks or infield strips, you're getting paid £673 a hectare, you know, after the sea cost, that you split over three years, it's looking at £617 a hectare. So a, a good chunk of it is, if you just take into account seed cost, is a good percentage. Uh, if we look at Lagoon Fallow on arable land, 
they're paying 593 a hectare after the sea cost it's looking about 530 a hectare per year for the margin but we've still so, got establishment costs haven't we and is there yeah. some ongoing maintenance like mowing and bits like that and managing weeds within them yeah. so it's still a bit more cost there, than that isn't there there definitely is yeah and you, you've got to take that into account and a lot of these schemes are very good for those bits of land that aren't as productive and they can take into account like an ipm approach when you've got these flower flower rich grass margins and, and things like that that can complement other other schemes um but yeah it's not going to be a pure a pure margin with these sfis you've got to really look at each individual standard when we do that with the sfi assessment go through look at all the margins and and come to an approximation but they're, they're still worthwhile doing from what i've seen so along in these business reviews that you're doing you've also got an sfi assessment in there but what what else is being offered and what's what's being done with growers uh so in terms of the future farming resilience fund and the support we offer yeah so we there's really four branches of our support so we do a, a thorough business review where we come on farm and we sort of go through all the management practices and the farming systems employed by the farm and we, we look at a whole host of things and it's it's really like a, a business health check just to make sure the farm manager is not missing anything they could be doing or what they could be improving and from all these questions we sort of develop a SWOT analysis to look at the opportunities for improvement and we can focus on those and fr from that we can identify a specialist that can help hone in on that opportunity and they can have a visit from a from a specialist to really improve their situation on that topic. So are there some quite common threads between from farm to farm that you you, you go to? I mean are, are the opportunities really do they differ a lot between farms or especially a lot of farms have some quite similar sort of opportunities they might or maybe some quick ways to improve their business are there perhaps a few key things that are coming up regularly? A lot of farms are Last year, especially with the high fertiliser costs um, and chemical costs, a lot of farmers are considering regenerative farming as a as an approach. Uh, that has been quite a common theme. Diversification, people are looking at what they can do to bring an additional income onto the farm and whether that's diversification through commercial lets or, you know, if it's a livestock farm, direct to consumer meat boxes, um, looking more at carbon credits. And there's all sorts of diversification options, but We've discussed this earlier that it can be a separate business that can add a lot of strain to a, a farm manager or a business owner because they're then running two businesses rather than rather than one. But yeah, with the with the high costs and the, the loss of BPS, it's diversification is a quite a hot topic for farms at the moment. So you talked a bit about you mentioned regen farming and some people perhaps seeing that as a a direction of travel for them that might be improving their their businesses. You obviously meet some people who are already down that path. And is there a difference in how those who are down that path feel about the future and the challenges they're facing to those who have who have not embarked on that route? Um, or or are we finding that actually the same problems exist? Yeah, do they see things a different way if they're already regen? It, again, it depends on where they are, their soil type, and and all sorts of factors. I mean, I've, I've been to some farms that have converted to regen and then they've seen a drop in yields and decided to go back um, to conventional, conventional farming. Some farms have, have changed in the process and are seeing Im improvements in their soil and they're, they're converted and they're happy that they're on the right track and feeling less nervous about the future. So yeah, it, it does really, it really depends on, on the situation. Um, 
but yeah, I've been to a lot of regen farms that are, are doing really well, and I've been to some where it's not worked out, and they're unsure on the benefits for for their soil type and system. One of the things that comes up quite a bit on the arable cropping front and and is trying to make actually a rotation that's profitable, because we grow, growing wheat and barley and and having profitability there is not quite so difficult. But over first wheat, you require first say break crop. And obviously oilseed rape has become very, very unreliable um, for obvious reasons that I don't think we probably need to repeat. But but also that the margins of a lot of break crops alternatives are not the most exciting ones that are, that, that are out there and bring with them their own um, challenges. So how have you noticed, have you noticed the difference in how growers are adapting to those problems and are, 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 you know, are some people finding a way forward in, in that area? Is SFI perhaps one of those things that's helping some of those? Yeah, good question. That is a, a common theme again, is that the break crops are becoming a problem. Um, I think Colin Peters is actually going to be doing a podcast specifically on, on break crops, which should be really interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is an option for legume fallows uh, on arable land. It could be a three-year option. And some people are considering doing that for three years as a as a break to sort of improve the soil, fix some nitrogen, give the ground some rest. So that that is obviously a three year agreement rather than a break crop. But some people are considering that as a break. Um, so that is an option there. A lot of farmers saying that, that they want to focus on their rotation and look at different break crops. And hopefully there's a lot of research can help get that solid information there so they can make a clear decision on what they should be growing as a break crop. Um, what are your thoughts on alternative break crops? I, I think it's a really big change. It has to be guided quite a lot by by the sort of local market availability and, and quality of land and what it's suitable for. Um, many of the break crops are quite selective in what soils they suit. And I think it's one of those things we, we mustn't try forcing anything to work if it's really just not going to. Um, because uh, I think, and I think that's demonstrated by the fact that many, a lot of growers still try each year with oilseed rape because when it works, it's you know it's a more reliable crop that or more successful, profitable crop than um, many of the others. Um, but it's obviously its probability of success is somewhat um, somewhat lower than it was. Other break crops don't necessarily have a high probability of success either. And so it's a general question of of reliability um, for for break crops in in general. Um, probably for some, I think maize has probably given them a an alternative, um, in, particularly in relation to AD plants uh, and generally AD plants and larger dairy units if you're in the west of the country. And that has probably buffered a little bit for from uh, for, from the profit stress of taking oilseed rape out or reducing the success rate on it. Um, when you model rotations, um, I did an exercise recently and found that um, uh, continuous wheat stacked up quite well, which I thought was an excellent exercise. And of course, if you ask a spreadsheet a question, then you may get an answer that would be unwise. Yes. Um, and we've got to be careful of falling into the trap of just looking at the spreadsheet as well. There's a biological aspect um, to this as to and a practical aspect as to what does and doesn't work as well. And we've got to consider all of those. Um, so. Greg, um, we're sort of coming to the end of the, the time slot for this. You've got what, lots of more visits happening now. And where are we in this process of the Future Farm Resilience Fund? Because over, you know, how long has it run over? And um, 
how long can people still get involved? Yes, you can you can sign up at any point over the next two years, really. So it ends in February 2025. You can apply at any point and yeah, you can get a, a free business review, business report, which is a business health check that will signpost to more specialist support. Uh, we do full SFI assessments. So if you're unsure on what options to go for, how it might work for you, we'll, we can come out onto the farm, spend a few hours going through all the options and get your plan together for you for the next steps. And yeah, it's really tailored to work for the farmer. So it's almost personalised and can be driven by their unique situation, really. It is all funded by DEFRA and well worth making use of if you, if you want to get some additional information and support and focus on opportunities for improvement. So thank you very much, Greg. So these podcasts are um, expecting to run a couple of times a month. Now we've got a, um, a list of uh, all sorts of different topics we're intending to cover, some business related topics, some technical related topics. Hopefully there'll be something of interest to, to everyone who's taking part in the Future Farm Resilience Fund project. And uh, so thank you, Greg, very much for joining me on this uh, first one. And uh, we'll look forward to presenting to you in the next podcast. Thank you very much.